0: His coin. You're listening to the Watchers of Westeros.
1: I am the King! A Game of Thrones podcast. When you play the Game of Thrones, you win, or you die. Fire cannot kill a dragon. Lion doesn't concern himself with the opinions of a sheep.
0: Also heard the phrase, "The Lannister always pays his debt." For the
1: night is dark and full of terror. What good is power if you cannot protect the ones you love?
0: We can avenge them. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Watchers of Westeros. You are in the right place if you're looking for some Game of Thrones talk. This week we're talking about the third episode of Season 5, The High Sparrow. It's going to be a great show. Got a lot lot to discuss in this episode. Lots of interesting stuff going down at the Wall in the East. All over the place. So much good stuff. We're going to get into it right here. First, introductions are in order. My name is Dominic, and joining me, as he always does, is my good friend and co-host, Kieran.
1: Good evening, Mr. Dominic Jones. And we're actually recording on time this time. (laughs) This is one of the first times that we've actually been able to sit down properly and dissect a Game of Thrones episode after it's aired just a couple of days ago. Well. Yesterday for those in England and two days ago for those who are watching in America and and on HBO. So looking forward to getting into the episode entitled The High Sparrow. How are you doing today, Dominic?
0: Oh, I'm good. I, I like you. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to talking about this episode because it, it really introduces some interesting concepts that I think are going to come back in a big way later this season. And and it brought, brings up some interesting interesting character stuff, as do just about each and every episode. So let's start off with just our initial impressions of this episode. So I'll throw that over to you. Uh, your first thoughts on High Sparrow.
1: My first impressions of this episode was or were that this episode was the best of season five so far. Mm-hmm. I think that we're beginning to see the, the first episode was the war, to, the wars to come, and we're really beginning to see the development in in new alliances and and new tensions, political tensions as well as personal ones. Personal vendettas beginning to take shape and take take tangible form. It's really becoming interesting to see the continued the continual interaction of different characters now people are no longer the characters no longer isolated in their own universes they seem to be coming together a lot more there's a lot more of interplay between a wide variety of characters we seem to be emphasizing this or at least i seem to be emphasizing this and the main reason is that the past four seasons we've been so focused on a wide variety of journeys which concentrated on just one of our main characters. Mm-hmm. Now we're seeing those storylines begin to bridge together. And I think that's what's really exciting because, as you said, Dominic, as well, there are a lot of themes, there's a lot of character development which have been brought up in this particular episode, which is going to play a pivotal role. I, again, only speculation here, but I agree with you that they'll play a greater integral role later on in the season. So we've got so much stuff here with King's Landing, with Queen Marjorie, the Tomlin marriage. We've obviously got Tyrion and Varys and their escapades down at Philantis. And, of course, Winterfell is coming back for the first time on screen properly that we focus upon it since season two. Really buzzing to dissect this episode. Initially, what an episode, in my opinion. So Dominic, I'll throw this same question over to you, and you can give your initial thoughts on this particular episode.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. I really enjoyed this episode, and and I think, like you said, uh, the Winterfell thing is is really exciting for me because it's it's nice to see that the Starks are kind of on their way back, and we're seeing that in not just with uh, with Sansa, uh, but also kind of with John. Although whether you can call him a Stark or not is is debatable. I think we should. I think we should be able to call him that, and in, even Arya, and, and we'll get into Arya's story this week uh, much more than last week, where we barely had time for it. <laughs> that was my fault again. Um, but but really, I, I will s- want. I do want to point out, point to to Sansa's story in, in these episodes because she has really become so much more interesting this season. You know, in the past season, she's been sort of like what what Littlefinger said of her. You know, she would witness tragedy and and run away and cry and and this season we're starting to see her actually do something about it and and the other thing in in winterfell that really is has got me kind of interested is uh I, i know he's he's your least favorite character but theon uh you know does he recognize sansa is this what's going to um you know break him out of his his reek persona there's there's a lot of interesting stuff going on there and uh and of course everything at the wall some really good stuff i'm really coming to like uh sir davos as a character or because uh because he is uh i I loved his interaction with john in this episode and and his you know he may have just talked Jon snow into changing his ways we'll see that's something to to find out later on in the season but yeah overall uh, a really great episode and and definitely the strongest of this season thus far and really uh the first kind of cliffhanger that we've gotten this season. The first episode that really is like, Oh, really? You're ending there. We have to know what happens next. And and so I'm looking forward to next week and seeing what goes on with Sir Jorah and Tyrion. That should be very interesting. Uh, But let's, let's start where we, where we didn't cover last week, which is Arya's story. We'll, uh, we'll cover a bit of what happened in the the house of black and white first. I, 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 that for me, in that episode, her storyline was actually kind of a weakness. I, I hate to say it, because she is, she is one of my favorite characters. But that was a bit of a weakness for me, was was what went down with her story. I I feel like I'm missing something. I feel like something, I missed a, a crucial detail. Because to me, it, it seemed like she showed up. She was turned away. She sat around. She threw her coin in the lake. Uh, went into the city. Killed a pigeon. And was about to fight some boys. And then... Um, Jack and hagar revealed himself to her am am i missing something there is is that what went down because if if so that i I don't see what the what the lesson was there what the point of of that was
1: i think the point of it was patience perhaps it's it's a difficult one as you said to really pinpoint what. Was the trial?
0: Yeah, because in, uh, in this Ari episode, Ari was
1: going through because cause as you as you pointed, you're about to say now. Yeah, Ari is going through a trial here.
0: Yeah, in this episode, it's, it's very clear. You know, she has to abandon her her previous life. In the in in the last episode, I'm just kind of I, I don't see it. I, it just seemed like was patience. I it I don't see patience there. I see somebody who who got impatient, threw her coin away, and went off to do something else because she couldn't get into the the house.
1: It's it's a tricky one to pinpoint, and the only explanation I can give at this point I guess is it could be enlightened to us a little bit later on in a storyline. Perhaps this is something that we're not meant to find out right now, the same way that it was a little bit of surprise that it it wasn't it wasn't that Jacques and Hagar then revealed himself to be in that temple, because no one necessarily assumed that Jack and Hagar was actually going to be situated in the temple on Bravos,
0: mm-hmm.
1: where people thought that his story was going to go elsewhere. He was going to do his own thing. Yeah. Um, but turned out to be that he was actually one of the main priests at this temple, the house of black and white. I agree with you that the details of Arya's story certainly need to be expanded upon. And the storyline in this particular episode, similar to previous storylines um, or at the beginning of story arcs, it's really just setting up something. I'm going to compare this to a Star Wars episode, but only for, only for this moment, because <laughs> uh, I know this is one of your episodes that you didn't like on Star Wars Rebels, but it reminded me, for those who have seen Star Wars like Rebels, of when Lando Calrissian made his first appearance uh. on there, and it seemed as though in that story arc, not a lot was really happening, and it didn't really change any of the characteristics or actually develop any of the character story arcs in the series. However, it was, in my opinion, a setup to build onto something much grander, something bigger. In regards to Arya and his storyline here, when she's in the temple and we see a majority of the time sweeping the floor, uh-huh. what we do see is... Uh, a beginning of an understanding and a transformation in her character. So I think you're right. My critique of saying perhaps it was patience, as I'm talking with you about it now through the analysis, I, I, I would agree is probably wrong because she is impatient in this episode still. Mm-hmm. And and Agar is really surprising to Arya that she needs to renounce her name, renounce who she was, in order to become nothing. Yeah. Because she isn't nothing. She thinks she is. Mm-hmm. Arya thinks that she's nothing because she's come here to the House of Black with no family, just herself. But her clothing resides with her. Her money, her stolen money resides with her. And Needle, her precious sword, is still within her possession. Yeah. And it's until she gets rid of those assets... Yeah, until she does get rid of those assets, then she will still remain as Arya Stark, mm-hmm. not a faceless son or whatever they're called. Faceless obviously. man. Oh, yeah. it's a girl. Yeah. Faceless man. <laughs> yeah, she'll be the it's, faceless It's, it's, faceless
0: it's, 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 it's woman. going to
1: be intriguing to see where Arya's story leads, but I already think visually we're beginning to see a steady evolution in her character through her discarding her clothes, chucking them into the river and wearing new attire. For me, that's symbolic of the beginning of Arya's new journey now. No longer a Stark, but Mm. a faceless man. So I I wonder what your interpretation is of that. But also... I know you said it was the weakest point of the episode. Well, but... the weakest point of last well, 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 week's well, episode.
0: This this week the was point much of better. Last week's episode, then. yeah. This week, uh, was, was much. What did more you make of
1: Arya's story in this episode?
0: Yeah. Then, well, you you mentioned you know she's she's shedding her identity. Well, mostly she still she doesn't get rid of Needle. She hides Needle, and and there's a distinct difference there because she throws she throws her clothes and and all of her other possessions into into the lake. You know, she she gets rid of them. She's never going to see them again. But she puts Needle somewhere where she can find it again. And I think that's very telling. I think we're going to come back to that very soon. Uh I think what we're seeing here is is, is Arya is is doing what she's always done. She's never quite done exactly what she's supposed to. She's usually She's almost always trying to find a new way around. You know, we just going back to season one, you know, Ned was telling her, you know, she'll become a, a wife and have little lords and ladies and all that. And she tells him very quickly that she doesn't want that. And so it's up to her to sort of find the, the happy medium in between, you know, being, you know, being born a woman and wanting to be a warrior. And I think we're kind of seeing that again here because she wants to be a faceless man, but she wants to be a faceless man who can go out there and kill Cersei, the Mountain, Cerilyn uh, Payne, and, and and everybody else on her list? So I think what we're seeing here is is just a is a is further evolution of her sort of going never quite committing to something. She's going to learn from from Jack and Hagar and the faceless faceless man, but she is. I don't think she's going to stay and become a faceless man. I think she's going to train and learn, and eventually she'll show up again in some in some powerful role to help perhaps Sansa, perhaps Daenerys, perhaps perhaps John and Stannis, perhaps who who knows. Uh but I don't think I don't think her destiny is to be a faceless man. I think it's to be something different. Something that's that has learned from the faceless man, but isn't one. That is still is still Arya Stark. I I, I think, you know, she 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 I think the scene where she chooses not to throw away Needle is very telling that she still wants to hold on to at least part of her old identity, which it seems to me um is not part of becoming a faceless man if you want to be a faceless man you have to get rid of everything about your prior life and she's not doing that
1: so i well I, it's interesting you bring that up because i think that this is a watershed moment for aria right now mm-hmm. as to where her trajectory where her story is going to progress to where where is it going to lead and end up end up in and you make a, a very sound point there, which I didn't articulate as well as you did about the idea of Arya's identity really being shed. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason that she hasn't got rid of Needle. It's not just because of the identity aspect. Well, it is linked onto the identity aspect, predominantly linked onto the past. Uh-huh. Arya still has blood ties with her family. That needle was a symbol of that. It was a gift bestowed upon her by Jon Snow. Yeah, and it really and it was, um, and obviously Ned Stark it had played an important role. as he was the one who hired the dancing master to train Arya as well with the sword. There's a lot at stake with Arya and that sword, and she doesn't want to part ways with it in the moment. And I think what we will see, or we could see, as you said, is that Arya doesn't fulfill her potential or what we think is the potential of becoming a faceless man. But also, it could mean that... Well, this could could come back to bite Arya at some point. It's one of those things that... She's she's not followed through, as you said. She's not actually obeyed the orders that were commanded by Jack and Hagar, which was to remove everything and to discard any anything that symbolized her previous identity. And instead, she's just hidden it away.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's not actually removing, as another another character will then say, the boil. We'll talk about that in a bit. <laughs> uh, she's not actually severing the boil. Whatever you want to call it—the the, the boil or, um, or or shedding part of her identity—she's actually just hiding it, and it means it's still there. It's still within her subconscious. It's still in the back of her mind that she's a Stark, and until she gets rid of that needle symbolically, she will always be a Stark. Yeah. Whether that will change, whether she will ultimately be able to bring it upon herself to get rid of that needle, to get rid of the sword. Is up for debate, and I think at this point it's a little bit ambiguous as to where her story is going to lie. Personally, from my point of view, it could go in two ways. But as you said, what it does demonstrate is that Arya has shed some of her identity, but not completely.
0: Well, what are the two ways you think her story could go?
1: Well, she could still follow down the path of becoming a faceless son or a faceless man. I keep saying son. It sounds more (laughs) natural to say it that way. She could follow the story of becoming a faceless man. Mm -hmm. And what can happen is that later on in the season, she will go back to where her sword is and throw it away. And that will then symbolize she has completely renounced her Stark title. On the other hand, that sword which has been concealed away, could be an avenue for Arya to reject becoming a faceless man Mm
0: -hmm. and moving
1: on to a new destiny, to becoming somebody else. Whatever whatever happens, I think her overarching ambition remains the same, a policy of vengeance and revenge against those who have done her wrong. But what we may find out is that in order to achieve that end, becoming a faceless man will not be suited to her character.
0: Mm-hmm. I think what we what we see with Arya is somebody who learns from everything she does. Every person, every sort yeah. of mentor she's had, whether it's it's Ned, Forel, even the Hound, uh, you know, she's picked up lessons from all of them. And you know, these are all variations on a warrior. And what we're probably, what I think we're going to see with Arya is that she's going to become some sort of ultimate warrior who who uses what she learned from all of these different all of these different mentors to her and ultimately will be the one or will be will ultimately come back in some big way and have some major impact on 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 what's going on in Westeros. I I don't think that she will become a faceless man because that would mean her sacrificing all of her identity and I think we've spent too much time building up her identity for it to make sense for her to her to disappear like that. And you know, we've been following her story generally when you follow a story yeah, the characters because they're going to play some important role going forward, even if that role is to be killed off. As we, as we as we saw with people like Rob Stark and and the likes, as you know, just their their purpose in the story was to be killed off to motivate other characters. And I think what we're seeing with Arya is that we're following her, and so I I think if if she just becomes a faceless man, I, I almost think that would be a bit of a letdown. I almost think she can't become a faceless man. She has to learn from them, learn some of their traits. And take that and combine it with what she learned from the Hound and Ned and Sirio and become this and become some other some other type of warrior who will have some kind of big role in the future of in the in the wars to come per se. (laughs) Uh, But let's move on from Arya. Let's let's talk about her uh, her half brother there, Jon Snow. Let's head up to the Wall Um, because a lot a lot of interesting stuff happened here. And I want to start with uh, with Sir Davos. And and his conversation with John because John, uh, you know, he, he turns down the opportunity to become John Stark, and it's Sir Davos that is almost the one that's able to uh, convince him, or perhaps convince him to to go off and 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 fight alongside Stannis. And I think what we're really seeing is is that Sir Davos is really the important one in that relationship. He's the one. He's the the one with the personality. He's the one that can get people to do what Stannis can't get them to do because Stannis is just kind of a cold, cold guy. He nobody uh, nobody really likes him. Nobody really wants to do anything with him. They just feel they have to because of his quote unquote quote unquote blood right. So I'm curious on your take on on everything that went down between between Stannis and and John in in these episodes.
1: Very interesting storyline here. I, I'm, I'm unconvinced that that story has, has come to a close, really. Mm-hmm. I think mean, there's still a lot more interplay to progress between those two characters because we've seen now a couple of scenes where they focused in upon the conversations between Stannis and John, and the Game of Thrones would never ever disclose a scene lightly without having some sort of weight behind it. Mm-hmm. I mean, what we see with Stannis at least is the embodiment of temptation for Jon. This is what Jon could be. He could yep. be the ruler of the North. That's what, that's what Stannis says in this episode. He could be the ruler of the North and Winterfell. Not necessarily the warden of the North, but at least under the banner of Stark. So, it, as you said, it's, it's interesting to see really how the dynamics between those characters are really going to evolve and evolve i should say and so davos's role in all of this is particularly crucial mm-hmm. because it's really Sadavos davos who is the personable character who seems to be able to build rapport with whoever stannis is communicating with because because stannis doesn't have that capability to do so we've seen it before with the pirates getting them on side we also see it with the diplomacy with the iron bank yeah that's that's Sir davos's role and it seems to work a treat and what I like about Sir Davos in this particular episode is that he reminds John of what the purpose of the Night's Watch is because of the White Walkers and what's been going on over the wall or across the wall. And many of them, or many of the Night's Watchmen, have actually forgotten that one of their sacred duties is to protect the realm. And by leaving the Boltons in charge, it leaves the Night Watch. Night's Watch, at least in Davos's eyes, in danger. And I think we can empathise with that because we've seen the Boltons and oh, yeah. they're hardly the nicest people in the world. <laughs> the we do see their is, regards. Well, exactly. And also what we see with the Boltons in this particular episode, which we'll come on to later, is that they have bigger ambitions. Yes. So it's not just going to be them staying put in the north. They've got grander ambitions at hold as well. A Part of us, I don't know what you think about this, would be interested to get your view. Part of me, at least, would quite like to see John go with Stannis <laughs> and take the North and become a Stark. Yeah. After every, even after everything that's happened. But we know that John is an honourable individual. But, as Stannis has rightly said, being honourable isn't necessarily a quality. It could also be a flaw. Oh, We've yeah. seen that with Ned Stark. And some could argue we see that with John, And that's why... The incident with Janos Slint, which we'll come on to in a moment, is very interesting because you can read that in multiple ways. Some and many would see that as really exhibiting a parallel with Ned Stark. Oh, yeah. On the other hand, people can look at what John did and say, finally, a bit of ruthlessness to him. We (laughs) haven't actually seen that. He's been so merciful. Yeah. We see that with Egret. Yeah. And... We've seen that in a number of occasions as well even with, with some Rader. of the wildlings, even Man's Yeah, It's interesting to see where that actually lies and where the line is drawn. Do we see what John did to Janice Slint as honorable and do we see that as a quality or do we see that as actually uh, a step into the wrong direction, a step into his downfall? Yeah. So but- I'd be interested to hear both your take on the Stannis conversation but also the execution of Janice Slint. How, how do you read that?
0: Yeah, well, I, I want to, I want to start with with the execution of Janice Slint there because I, I for one uh, I I was quite quite pleased to see that guy go so, that <laughs> character that was one of those characters where it's just like it's about about time you know all these all these characters we love are being killed off and that guy keeps surviving, mm-hmm. um, but overall overall I think that that sequence uh, was a show of strength for John it was a show to a strength to sort of show that he was honorable that he was not or that he was that he was powerful that he was not meant to be uh to be messed with but it wasn't it wasn't a a brutal kill in the sense that he took somebody who did something slightly wrong he took somebody who was openly questioning his rule which in the land of of Game of Thrones and Westeros is a, a punish, punishable by death and and we know that Sir Janus, or that Janus I don't know if he, is he a sir I don't know uh but he, he he's one that seemed like he was always going to be a pain for john that he was going to try and undermine his rule at any op- opportunity and i think everybody in the night's watch realized this and by having and and john killing him off um it, it uh it it, it enabled uh, him to maintain his rule and it, it takes me back to something that varus uh, that Varys said in the first episode about about danny that you know they need somebody who can who can be loved by the by the the, the the lower classes but feared by the upper classes And i think that's sort of what we're seeing here with john is because uh, clearly a, a lot of people in the night's watch uh do love him they they view him as a good leader um he, he won the election albeit by one vote but he won the election and so there are lots of and I, I get the impression that that was mostly through people who were some of the lower lower viewed people in the night's watch you know sam T- sam tarley and uh and his uh his his new steward uh ollie and and the people like that, so he's able to get them to love him and then in this episode, we see him go out of his way to make the older ones fear him uh, so he he kills off Janice there, and I think that's' was sort of the show of strength that makes a good leader in 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 Westeros uh and and you know he also deals with with Sir Alistair Thorne because he recognizes that that this guy is is very powerful. He could be a great asset to the night's watch and he has been, and he basically, he gives him a, a very important and high ranking title almost to sort of, uh, you know, to, 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 hold him off, to, to keep him in his place. Uh, but in a, so that he won't be trying constantly trying to undermine John because he has a good title and he's still got power over people. He's getting what he wants. Mostly. And, uh, you know, they, sort of suggesting that there may be a little bit of begrudging respect between the two of them, which we got a bit of a hint at in the, in the episode uh, about, about the battle of, uh, of Castle Black last season uh, when, when they had their conversation at the top of the wall. So I, I think that that John's move was very smart. And I want to bring up something else about that. And I read a, a really interesting thing uh, about this episode and about what went down in this episode in uh, Vanity Fair, of all places. <laughs> um, oh, wow. Yeah, really. Uh, it, the The title of the article is Game of Thrones, What Jon Snow Did Right and What Daenerys Did Very, Very Wrong. And it compares the ex... It's by uh, Joanna Robinson. And it compares the, uh, the execution of Janice with the execution of the slave. Uh, last... Or the former slave. The former slave last season, or last episode, that uh, Daenerys had to kill, who can't remember what his name uh his name was but uh you know it compares sort of you know we it goes back to that very first episode uh where you know Ned Snark, Ned Snark, Ned Stark <laughs> I can't sure. speak I can't speak Ned Stark executed the night's watch uh the night's watch uh, uh, deserter and yeah. you know he says the line you know the man who passes the sentence should be the one to swing the sword and then John tells Bran not to look away because if he looks away father will know. And we see last week in in the episode when Daenerys she doesn't she doesn't execute him herself, she has Dario do that for him and then she looks away. And the article actually compares this execution and compares Daenerys to Joffrey and the execution of Ned Stark at the end of season season 1 where, you know, Serlyn Payne was the one to swing the sword and, and we i guess joffrey looked. you can probably bet that joffrey looked but we see danny she basically did everything wrong in this execution you know she she had the the you know she legally i'm sure uh she was doing what the right thing is in westeros or in the the land of game of thrones um you know you have to kill people that break the law uh which you know we've somewhat somewhat moved on from in in modern times, but in, in this medieval setting, you have to kill people who who disobey you. And so she she makes the call to have this guy killed, but she doesn't actually do it herself. And then to make matters worse, she looks away. And so it's almost suggesting that, you know, Jon Snow and, and, and Danny kind of need to team up in order for there to be a good ruler in Westeros. And I thought that was really interesting because that's something that has been speculated a lot really since I guess the beginning of, of the series is that perhaps perhaps it's going to ultimately be these two that together will somehow uh, become ruler of Westeros and you know perhaps there's even uh, bloodline connections there that could make it work uh, but I'm curious on your take on that you know the, the comparison of, of Jon Snow killing Janice to to Danny having a Having what's his face executed? Uh,
1: the name, if you want to find out, is uh, called Mossador. Mossador. That's the man who okay. gets publicly executed. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, it doesn't really work what Danny does. He's yeah. trying to preserve the integrity of the law, but in reality, what we see instead is the, is that the execution of Mossador. Mossador, I can't even pronounce his name.
0: Yeah, is, could I make it an
1: easy name next time, yeah. guys?
0: <laughs> Can he be Jim? The execution yeah. of Jim.
1: <laughs> At which point we'll get all the hate now from all the Game of Thrones people who have read the books. <laughs> it was called <Macedor. laughs> um, But anyway, point is, the execution of this of this former slave, as you said, it it occurred really because of Danny's iron will, that yeah. even though he had technically broken the law, it was the law which she had created, the, not necessarily the law of the land. It's a good point. Which is, which is what the slave attempts to make uh, clear and enlightened upon to her. The law of Westeros is not necessarily the same law of... is the same as the laws of the Marine. Mm. For John... Probably executing Janice Slint is the directly uh, is, is is part of this direct edict that has been promulgated by the Night's Watch. This is something which happens as the Night's Watch. If you are a deserter, if you refuse command, this is punishable by death. However, in terms of what Danny's done. She's done it based on her own agenda and I think maybe that's the difference. Um and we can guess and conjecture that from what Danny has done in a previous episode, it's gonna come back to bite her. Uh, yes. I think that was if any I think that's overtly clear based on the end of that episode where with the the uprisings and chaos which really ensued as a result of the of the death as of, of Mossador, as both slavers and masters were clearly becoming disenchanted with Danny. As far as Janice Slint goes, everyone seemed pretty unified in that in in John's actions there. Everyone yep. was standing and watching, no one was there rebelling, and even Stannis gave a nod of approval as well. Yeah. Which demonstrates a clear point as as to really what John has done is probably right for yeah. the night's watch at least.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it goes back to what, what Sir Davos was saying about, you know, Stannis sees something in John and we see that very clearly in this episode. In that, in that very sequence, you know, he recognize Stannis recognizes that, uh, that John is doing the right thing. And and again, we're sort of getting that, that sense that, you know, this is why Stannis is, is trying so hard is putting so much pressure on, on John and, well, and, and also why Sir Davos is putting pressure on Johns. They recognize that this guy is is a force, is that he is somebody that they want on their side. And the question will be...
1: How can, do they get yeah, him on their side? Yeah, can they
0: get him to, to join them? And, well, we'll see. We'll have to see. Uh, but let's move on. Let's talk about what's going on in Winterfell. So, or, well, just before we get to Winterfell, we see Sansa... You know, she recognizes where they're going and she realizes that she's going to be forced to marry one of the Boltons. And, you know, you, you, you really that's one of those scenes where you can really understand everything that she is going through, because, I mean, for God's sakes, Roose Bolton is the reason the Red Wedding took took place. He enabled it. He he was the one who stabbed Rob Stark right there. Well, he
1: facilitated it, didn't it? Yeah. If it wasn't for the fact that he made a deal and a pact with Tywin Lannister, the phrase would never have had the bottle to go through with it.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's a. It was, you know. So to then force her to basically marry his his son, who we know is in some ways even crueler than him, you know, is is really, is that's kind of a, a a dick move on the part of Littlefinger. There, I mean, that's really. Horrible to, to try and put this, put this young woman who's been through so much into that situation. But as he, he explains it, you know, this is her chance for vengeance. This is her, her chance to, uh, to respond to all of the horrible things that have happened to her family in a way that can get results, that can possibly make her feel better about everything that has happened or at least feel that justice has been served. And we see her, her decide to go through with it. And again, it's why Sansa's story is so interesting this, this season, is that we're seeing her really trying to make a difference, trying to make up for everything that happened. And uh, and I think we're going to see more of that. So then she winds up in Winterfell, and she's going to marry Ramsay Bolton. And uh, I'm curious on your take on, on how... You know, and what's going on with Sansa and, and really what's going on with the Boltons because they're not in the best shape now that, uh, now that Tywin is dead. They have to perhaps change their ways a little bit. So, uh, what's your take on the, on the Winterfell storyline right now?
1: Extremely fascinating, first oh, yeah. of all. The story between the Boltons and the Starks becoming entwined in this manner was something that I don't think many of us would have expected after we'd seen the results of the Red Wedding, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's what's so shocking about it. Bruce Bolton was the man who had stabbed Robb Stark, had betrayed him, stabbed him in the in, in the front, <laughs> yeah. literally, and stabbed him in the back figuratively. It's, <laughs> it's, it's really intriguing to see where this storyline is going to be heading. And what I do like is that we do get that payoff with Sansa talking with Littlefinger about those events and Sansa recognising that Roose Bolton was the man who committed the crime and you know, she just bursts into tears. She can't... It, it is, it, from her point of view, is it is a cruel and arsey move, for lack of a better term, yeah. from <laughs> Littlefinger to actually put a, put upon her seemingly... An individual she fought beforehand who had been looking looking after her has suddenly just thrown her into the lion's den, it would seem. But I anticipate that this move will in fact be more beneficial for Sansa than she realises. This is the opportunity, as you said, for her to exact vengeance against those who have committed crimes and wrongdoings against her. For the time being... Sansa will need to ally with the Boltons because there's a little someone up north who's going to be providing a bit of a threat to Winterfell, Stannis Baratheon. Yeah. And, of course, we, there's a little line that Stannis mentioned about leaving for Winterfell in a fortnight. Now, I don't know how long a fortnight is in the worlds of Westeros, but—
0: <laughs> Yeah. Well, but- I, I'd like to think that, that that means that we'll see the battle not next week, but the week after— <laughs> you know in two weeks I time so. I, yeah I,
1: I hope i hope it relays to the way the episodes are aired <laughs> but i'm who knows who knows how they're gonna do it but yeah of it. they're a smart bunch of people who write that show so i'm sure that line isn't just used there uh negligibly oh yeah in terms of Sansa, and Ramsey, marrying bolton it's the irony of course we know is that Ramsey, one of the most sadistic and vicious individuals in westeros People talk about Joffrey and him as being some of the most evil beings and villains in this particular series, right out extreme version, of course. And we see that it had a cruelty of the Boltons through Theon's eyes right at the beginning, and when we go to Winterfell, Theon's looking up at those flayed corpses there. Oh, yeah. And visually, it's so impactful on the audience where it's hard to look at because it's so... The, the, manner again, uh, the manner and the way in which these people no doubt have been tortured and, and the way they've been flayed just visually, I think, is so graphic. Oh, yeah. But it's – and disturbing. But it really does exemplify the extremist nature of the Boltons and, the po- and really the polar opposite of Sansa, who's very kind and benevolent. But there's a nice bit of foreshadow, I think, which occurred in this episode about what could happen. To the story of Sansa and, and the Bolts, the Starks and the Boltons, it's not going to be as clear cut as Sansa and Ramsay getting married. I'm, I'm sure of that. <laughs> is when she she goes into her dormitory and that servant old woman says, "The North remembers." Yeah, something is brewing, and we talk about the building blocks of something grander occurring in the future. That's going to be one of them. The story of Winterfell. I think the Boltons are going to be. Under uh, the scrutiny and vengeance of a few individuals soon enough. I mean, you look at their storyline. They made a pact with Tywin Lannister, and we talked about the repercussions of Tywin's death. Oh, yeah. For them, that's huge. For Right sure. now, they're vulnerable. They may well have managed to defeat and and conquer the Greyjoy clan, but now they've got the eerie Stannis, people will rise up against it. Bolton says, if all of the Lords rise up against us, we haven't got enough to deter us. The Lannisters aren't going to send any reinforcements. Yeah. We need to start forging alliances. And it seems as though the Eyrie on the surface is going to be one of those. But then again, Rob Stark probably said that when he had the Boltons on his side. <laughs> yeah. So I wonder, I'll, I'll throw it over to you. I said quite a lot about that, but I, I think Winterfell is certainly my favorite storyline at the moment. Oh, so. for sure. I will. I will I'll give you the opportunity now to divulge some of your thoughts on the story of Sansa Stark and the Boltons. Where is where is it going to progress to? Where is it going to lead in your mind? And of course, what did you make of some of the scenes in this episode, such as the first time that Sansa actually faces Roose Bolton when she has to come up face to face with him?
0: Yeah, yeah. That that scene was was brilliantly done. I think because like like we mentioned, she's forced to face down the the murderer of her of her brother and in a lot of ways, her mother as well. And and really the reason that her family is all but, all but destroyed, all but extinct. Basically there's, there's, there's so few Starks left when they were such a force at the beginning of the series. Uh, I thought that scene was so well done. Just the way she, uh, the way Sophie Turner played that scene of, of, you know, clearly, you know, that's not, you know, just to, to smile and say, hello is not her first you know, her first reaction when she sees this guy. You know, her first reaction is to to try and stab him, you know, kill him, charge for his neck, you know, something else other than other than to, to you know, play her part. And I think that that speaks volumes to how her character has changed, that she is willing to play along in this game and, and we saw that a bit last season, uh, when she was able to get Littlefinger out of trouble, uh for, for murdering Lysa Aaron. And and so we're we're in this uh very interesting situation now where she has the uh, the authority or that she is she has to basically play the waiting game and come in at the right time and then she'll be able to exact her vengeance and i think it will, it will be really interesting uh when stannis attacks if he attacks i guess we should say we don't know for sure uh if he attacks winterfell how she will react how, how and how he will react to seeing her there and that will be an, an interesting take. And the other character, I mentioned this off the top, is is Theon. Because Theon is, is walking around there, uh, you know, still in his Reek persona, but he clearly, it it seemed pretty clear to me that he recognizes that that's Sansa Stark, that that is somebody important, at the very least, somebody important from his past. And I think that this is the potential for, for Theon to awaken inside Reek and to do something, maybe do something good. You know, we talked in the... Uh, in the preview show about, could there be any sort of redemption for Theon? And at the time, it, it seemed pretty clear that there couldn't be. Now I'm, I'm wondering, perhaps if Theon is able to help Sansa, maybe that can be some level of redemption. Not complete redemption, obviously. I don't think there's complete redemption for any of these characters uh, who, who have done any, anything quite... Who have done anything cruel, anything like what Theon has done? I don't think there's there's complete redemption, but I think there could be partial redemption for him if he's able to help Sansa or sacrifice himself for her. Um, and I think that would be really interesting to see. I, I I almost hope that it plays out that way, but this being Game of Thrones, it it, it very well may not. Um, and yeah, and I, I like what you're saying about the Boltons. I think you know to, to watch sort of the impact of, of Tywin Lannister's death even so far away from where Tywin Lannister ever really went as we're seeing just how important that character was and, you know, how his death really shifted. And I think, you know, this season, like just these first three episodes have felt different from all the other seasons and, and not necessarily in a bad way, not in any kind of tonal shift or anything. That you just, they just feel more like we're going towards an ending and I think you know the creators have been saying that in the in the build-up to this season is that it finally if we feel like it feels like we've sort of reached the point where the end is in sight and we're really starting to head towards that ending uh although although um although Danny's story still kind of feels a bit bit like it's 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 building a bit like it's a bit behind everything else but every everywhere else in the story kind of feels like okay sort of we've passed a certain checkpoint and now we're on our way to the end. And I, and I think the death of Tywin and just the power shift that that created, uh, more so than the death of any other character, more so than even the death of, of, of King Robert, um, has has changed the series in a way that, that it's changed forever, that now we're, we're really looking at who is going to be ruler in a way that, you know, in previous seasons, even when, you know, when Joffrey was king, you know, everybody wanted to kill Joffrey, but everybody, but we still had sort of a, a sense that the Lannisters were a force and that if you tried to kill Joffrey, well, maybe you'd succeed as we saw, but it wouldn't really change the power balance. But killing off, killing off Tywin, you know, Tyrion murdering Tywin at the end of last season really did change that power balance, and I think we're seeing that. Um, not only with how the Boltons are reacting, but with what's going on in King's Landing and what's going on everywhere, even what's going on at the Wall. Uh, you can, it, everything feels a little bit different after the death of Tywin Lannister. Uh, and, and so speaking of King's Landing, let's, let's talk about what went on there and, and specifically the relationship between Cersei and the High Sparrow. And, and this is a, a very interesting relationship because it's, it's very different than a lot of relationships that we usually see Cersei have because usually you get the sense that she is doing something for herself that she's doing something to gain her own power and yet when she meets the High Sparrow it, it feels like a different kind of relationship for her to have I don't know did you get that sense did this, did this relationship between Cersei and uh, the High Sparrow feel different than all of the than all of her previous relationships
1: when you say previous relationships, do you mean with just people with, of authority?
0: Yeah. Well, well, or, just or, with, or do you
1: mean just in general? Just, with just in any, general. Anyone?
0: With anyone. Like, I, it doesn't – even when people of authority, people – well, we'll stick with people of authority for the most part. But, you, you know, you look at her relationship with Ned Stark, with uh, – even with Jamie and Tywin uh, – even with with Marjorie the, these relationships it feels like she's feels like she's trying to get something out of it she's trying to win she's trying to play play the game of thrones in this one it, it felt different there almost seemed to be some kind of weird respect i don't know if i maybe i'm just reading that wrong but but what did you take away from that from their meeting
1: i could definitely sense some level of respect but principally the common thread underpinning the, in, the rapport between those two characters, from my perspective anyway, was that Cersei was really courting the High Sparrow in a way. She wanted him on her side. Mm. She, she made an, a clear note of the fact that the Faith and the Crown are the two pillars which hold up the society of Westeros. Right. If one collapses, so does the other. And what we see with the High Septon, in in contrast, is, as she said, his attitude was corrosive, um, pretty insidious and uh, quite repulsive. It really will contribute to a disenchantment with that system. If the high sparrows are openly insulting and abusing him in front of the public, their faith in the church will decline. And I think Cersei's beginning to sense that. If the High Septon is no longer seen as a representative of God but as a true human mm. or as a true as a, as, a, as a common citizen, then where does his power reside? Sure. Whereas the high sparrow in comparison seems to be not just a benign fellow, but someone who is respected by a large group of people who seem to be not necessarily worshipping, but certainly building a close rapport with him. So this is a way of Cersei beginning the seeds of trying to cause him, is what I believe anyway, because she wants to get him on her side. Because if he's on her side, then it means that the crown remains stable order remains restored and she's got another what kevin lannister labeled as a sycophant within her ranks mm-hmm. same way she's got kyber the grand meister tyrell all of those in a way bootlickers to cersei lannister and i think that she's trying to Accumulate another one in our ranks because the High Septon had too much power in her mind. That's what I think was the sure. purpose of her going to see the High that Sparrow. Makes,
0: that makes a lot of sense. That, that I, I see what you're saying. That like she's trying to recruit him, almost. That she's trying to make him part of her her side of her little her band of. Uh, of uh, well basically the people that keep her in power and that this, you know, is, this is the only
1: thing at the moment is keeping Cersei in power because sure. Marjorie is the queen now yeah she's just a queen mother yeah and so I'm sure we'll go on to the wedding in a second yeah the most but boring we, uh,
0: the most boring game of Thrones wedding of all time um, I know well, <laughs> not probably a single for the benefit death.
1: of those two characters yeah but I think death. as far as Cersei goes yeah her power's beginning to wane She still wants to stock that small council up with people who are loyal to her and her alone.
0: Yeah, she. What you're saying? Not Marjorie. Sure, sure. And so what? Basically, is it seems like perhaps she's she's playing a a different kind of character than she usually does. You know, Cersei is. is, You know, she usually puts on that kind of cold, powerful kind of uh, kind of vibe, and and in this sequence, she goes out there and she is very respectful. She's very calm. She's you know she acting a, in a very different way and i think we're seeing that's almost a move of desperation from her that she realizes that she needs more more people on her side like you said and so she goes out there and she tries to recruit somebody who is kind of the polar opposite of the the type type of people she would normally hang around with because she recognizes the power that the high sparrow uh has over the le- over the sparrows, over you know, over her own cousin, cousin Lancel, who's who's uh, come back in a in a very interesting way this season, uh, very different from from where we ever expected to see him in in previous seasons. I I never expect expected to see him again, to be perfectly honest. But uh, it it's a it's it's a good sort of interesting interesting twist. And, and like I said, let's let's move on and 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 move on to uh to the wedding to the the, yeah the most boring wedding in game of thrones the wedding between tomlin and marjorie and and probably the weirdest sex scene as well too i mean how old (laughs) how old is the kid who plays tomlin he's got to be like 16 and natalie dormer's got to be like what 29 like it's that that must have been an interesting day on set to be filming that sequence (laughs)
1: apparently in the books Tomlin is supposed to be 8 years old
0: but... really <laughs> okay. but,
1: but then Marjorie's is supposed to be 16 not that oh, okay. that really makes it any better uh, but... yeah
0: <laughs> she's still twice as old as him <laughs> uh, but yeah so we we see their wedding and we see that now well, we see a power play basically from 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 uh, from Marjorie who uh, who suggests to Tomlin uh you know Maybe your mother would be happier elsewhere, and we're seeing this power play. And and then we see Cersei respond in a very different kind of way. Again, this is this episode we're seeing Cersei having to resort to different, uh, tactic tactics because she goes to Marjorie and and tells her, uh, you know, you can, you can always come to me for help. Now, I, I completely understand. What Marjorie was doing, I don't fully understand what Cersei is doing there. What what do you think her goal is for for that uh, for that for for that little conversation that she had with Marjorie?
1: She's playing the game once again Mm. because Tomlin's just told, or at least inquired with his mother about the prospects of her going back to Castle Rock, where she would be happier. And I'm sure she recognises that it's Marjorie really pushing Tomlin in that direction. Because how how who else would have known that? Why would Tomlin all of a sudden say, "Mum, you'd, you'd rather go home"? Yeah. From Tomlin's point of view, or at least what Marjorie is really, you know, she's, she's brainwashing him with, at least, or at least twisting his mind to think that he is never going to be as a, a true man, or He's never going to be able to share in the pleasure and love with Marjorie day in, day out, as he said. Um, <laughs> when, his, when his mother's constantly roaming around, it's kind of a way of saying, "You know, yeah, Mummy, you would be happier in Rock, wouldn't you?" As I'd say, well, "Wouldn't you rather just go home and leave me here? I'll be fine. I'll be fine." And and Marjorie stated that Cersei has no real place here. Cersei's trying to make her seem valuable mm-hmm. to Marjorie, make her seem like she's still worthy of here. If if you need anything, come and find me. So to say, I'm here for Tomlin, but I'm not going to go anywhere. It, I think that's the main point. Just having her show up there is at least to demonstrate that Cersei doesn't want to go anywhere and she wants to stay put where she is. Right. Whereas whereas Marjorie's playing pressing Cersei's buttons really. Saying, oh, you know, well, you could be a grandmother soon. And, you know, Cersei knows that that's not what she wants at all. She hates Marjorie for who she is. Um, and also because she sees Marjorie as a rival, not just to power, but to beauty. And that was really exemplified as much or at least really showcased in the first episode with the flashback when she was looking extremely incensed at the witches lying about a younger woman. Succeeding Cersei, being beaten by a younger woman. Now, again, how do we interpret that? Is that Marjorie? Is that Daenerys? That's up for debate. But at least in Cersei's mind and perspective, it's Marjorie, and therefore Cersei is really trying to stack up people around her, and and she's really been put into a stack up people around her, a loyal to her in small council. But she's also in a desperate situation where she will have to leave soon. Right.
0: Yeah. You almost you almost get the sense. In, in that scene that that you're talking about there with the or the the meeting between Cersei and 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 Marjorie Margaery, that Marjorie's almost trying to push Cer- Cersei's buttons to try and get her to react so that Marjorie could almost have a of a reason to have her thrown out you know it, it, you know she's she's trying basically she's trying everything and she's trying it all at once to get rid of Cersei because she you know her goal is to be the queen and, you know, her family obviously has aspirations for great power. And they think now that that, that Tywin is gone, they can control Tommen. And, and the only thing they see that is holding them back is her. And perhaps in their mind, you know, it's just a matter of getting rid of her, whether that is. But they want to keep, you know, a good image. They don't want her to be murdered or anything. <laughs> they just want her to either lose her mind and, and have, give them a reason to throw her out. Uh, you know, pretend like there's some kind of coup going on. Almost, almost do what, what, uh, what Littlefinger did to Ned, Star- Ned Stark back in, uh, season one. Uh, almost, you know, kind of put them in a position, put her in a position where she looks to be the villain and so they can get rid of her or just have her leave on her own accord. I mean, that would be the easiest way is just to have her say, you know what, I'm gonna head off to Castle Rock and, uh, good luck to you two. So you get that, uh, that, uh, um, that bit that, that 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 conversation sort of suggests to me that their main goal is to get rid of her all right and then so uh before we wrap things up of course we want to talk a little bit about what was going on with with Tyrion and varus in, in these episodes and and uh and uh we we see Tyrion finally convince varus to uh to stop to stop their journey so he can he can head all, he can uh, head into town visit the brothel and all that and uh that was a, that was a great scene where <laughs> where he's he's trying to to get out of the get out of the the coach that they're in there, and Varys is, is just trying desperately to convince him to stay. And he say, he says you know I don't I I can't really think of any other ways to say no. I, I thought that was was very well done. It was almost almost like a a, a wink at the camera kind of moment there where uh, where Varys uh, was uh, was reacting to what, what Tyrion was saying. Uh, then they show up and they see the uh, the red priestess there. The, this other red priest, and this red priest gives Tyrion a look. Is that meant to suggest that that either does she recognize that who he is, or does she see him much in the same way that Melisandre looked at at John at the end of season four? Does she see him see Tyrion as some kind of power, some kind of future power?
1: Yeah, I agree. Quite an interesting point at that time, I have to say. Um, I mean, there are two interpretations that you can really take of this. Um, one of them is that, as you said, the Red Woman has really seen something in Tyrion, and so that really showcases how she, like like Varys, places Tyrion in the same light as Jon Snow, that he has a far grander role to play than anybody else in Westeros, but at the same time I think you can look at this and say that really she just recognises Tyrion for being put out um, really for a bounty that people are after him and that he is a recognisable figure and that she recognises him as someone who is on the run <laughs> and, and a bit like Jorah Mormon, who also recognises Tyrion in that way She's prepared. Well, she's not prepared to do anything, but she's just inquisitive that even though he's covering himself with his beard and hood, she can still see something beyond that. And clearly she has the power of the sight. So she really knows who he is. I think that much is clear. But what purpose and what ends that means is up for debate. So I'll, I'll throw it over to you, Dominic. What, do you, what did you read and, t- and take into account with regards to that scene?
0: I think I think she recognizes that there's something important about him. I don't think she necessarily recognizes him. I think the only person that actually recognizes him is, is Jora, and and that even that is still a bit debatable. He says, "You know, I'm taking you to see the queen," but does he mean Cersei or does he mean Danny? Because uh, you know, for for Jora, Danny would be queen you know he he served her he he recognized her as the as the right right and proper ruler for so long that him saying you yeah, know i'm taking you to see the queen probably means I'm taking you to see Daenerys Targaryen that being said Danny doesn't know about Tyrion at this point you don't think and so it's it's unlikely that she would have any real use for him other than to send him back to Cersei so that's the, that's a big question for next week um but this uh the, the, this this red this red woman. I think I think I again I go back to that look being so similar to the one that Melisandre gave Jon. And I think uh, you know this these these people that worship the Lord of Light, they think or they do um, recognize Im- important things, or recognize important people are people that are going to play an important role in the future. And I think Jon Snow is one of those people, and I think Tyrion is one of those people, and so I think. Again, her recognizing him suggests his importance to this overall story. And it's something that we'll probably see play out in, uh, in future episodes. And, and I look forward to seeing that play out. So I think that is it for this episode. Uh, do, we, do we have time to quickly do some favorite quotes for this week?
1: I've got I've got one quote here right. that I can cite if that's the right yeah, Dominic. Yeah, it. It's the one from Littlefinger. We've heard it already in a trailer, but for me, I think it's good to emphasise this one. And he says this line to Sansa when they are overlooking Moat Cailin: uh-huh. "You loved your family, and and you wanted to protect them, but now is the time." Oh, I, I, I kind of I'm kind of paraphrasing a little bit here, sure. but he talks about the idea of avenging them. Yeah, uh, he and, says.
0: Says there's no justice in this world. Yeah, there's no
1: justice in this world unless we make it avenge them.
0: You loved your family eventually. You loved yeah. your
1: family, avenged them. Yeah. So, yeah, great, great quote from me. Yeah, <laughs> clearly tell that I can memorize that well. Sure. But it was really that idea, the premise behind it. There was a lot of weight behind those lines. And I think it's really, at least, in, not just informing science, but the audience of the true purpose of this marriage.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and I'm just looking through my notes here. I, I noticed one place that we did we did miss, and that is, that is Brienne and Podrick in these episodes. And I think uh, you know, it was, it was interesting to get some good insight into Brienne's character. And I'll, I'll use my quote as, as one, last, uh, one last thing I want to bring up about, to discuss about this episode. And Brienne quotes, or she says the same thing that Cersei says last season. And, and you hear it every week, or every episode, I guess, in our intro. It's, nothing is more hateful than failing to protect the ones you love. And I thought it was a really interesting parallel to have both of those characters say that line, because those are not two characters you generally associate with one another. They they had a brief interaction back in the season two or, or, or season three, they they had a brief interaction at at some point earlier on in the series. And, um, and they didn't seem to, to get on very well. And yet we see the show. And I think it's a very obvious choice to use that line, distinctly drawing a parallel between the two of them. And, you know, when you think about it, those two characters do have a bit more in common than you would think. They're both these, these powerful women, although they, they've taken different paths, that are trying to find their place in this, this man's world, basically. You know, Cersei, she can never have all the power she wants because the highest she can ever ascend to is, is Queen. And, and Brienne, it, you know, she outside of Renly, you don't, I don't think any king at this point that we see... That we've seen thus far would make her at night for the simple fact that she is a woman and so we we see you know that the parallels between those two and, and their struggles is being highlighted uh in the use of that line you know nothing is more hateful than failing to protect the ones you love and i i'll just quickly throw it over to you if, if you have any thoughts on the parallel being drawn between brienne and cersei
1: so i think that the two characters are a clear Parallels, like you said, between Cersei and Brienne in regards to the attitude of those two characters towards men.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And what I think is particularly fascinating with Gwendolyn Christie's performance of Brienne, again, which was absolutely fantastic, I yes. think that speech and monologue really took me in to Brienne's storyline and her past. Uh, what was really insightful about it is we learn about why Brienne is who she is and why she cared so much for Renly, why Renly was someone who she admired. And it was really because he was the only one who would st- stand up for her when people would jeer at Brienne for being Brienne the beauty and say it mm-hmm. sniggeringly. He was the one who said, you know, don't give a crap about those shits. Yep. <laughs> to an, <you> know, <laughs> you know, He was basically saying, you know, who cares? Don't let them bother you. Don't let, the, don't let those feelings get to you. These are, this is who you are. This is your identity. And take it. Yeah, Take it with your both hands. Ignore what they have to say. And all the other, and all the other people stop to snickering because she danced with Renly. And we also get a glimpse as to what her ambition really lies in. It's not just protecting the Starks. It's avenging Renly. And that seems to be a quite, quite a common thread with many of the women in Westeros. With Arya, with Sansa, and, in a way, with possibly Cersei, in the sense that she's looking to avenge her father. Yeah. To, well, she's looking to, obviously, find Tyrion. So we see that's quite a common theme, and now, and now Brienne's looking after Stannis. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see whether she'll be able to achieve her goals. Yeah, um, Very briefly, what, what do you think she will? Do you think she'll be able to? End Stannis' life.
0: Well, it's, it's very possible. We, we see in the trailer that there's a scene of her in the snow so uh, perhaps she's heading north well we know she's heading north and who knows how far north she'll get and it seems quite likely that she could come face to face with with stannis and it will be interesting to see how that plays out because you know stannis is one of those characters he's simultaneously a good guy and a bad guy you know he, he's viewed as as evil for what he did to renly because renly was was generally viewed as a good guy but at the same time we're seeing him interact with Jon snow and and we can tell that there's some kind of begrudging respect between those two. And, and he's in, you know, he, so we're kind of in that weird place where is he good? Is he bad? What do, what do we know about him? What is he going to do? And I think, you know, to see him come face to face with, with Brienne of Tarth and to see what, you know, his past actions to get him where he is, you know, where he's in a position to take on somebody who is bad, which is the Boltons, um, how that will, you know, his previous actions, you know, does the ends justify the means? and, it'll be interesting to see if Brienne comes face to face with him. And if she perhaps even comes face to face with John beforehand to see how those two would react to, or how he would react if he found out what Stannis had truly done. And with that, we will wrap things up for this week. Thank you everybody so much for listening. Before we go, we just have time for final thoughts and score out of 10. So I'll throw it over to you, Kieran for your final thoughts and score out of 10 on high Sparrow.
1: I will keep it very brief and succinct. I thought it was a fantastic episode, the best episode of this particular season. I'm going to give this episode a 9 out of 10. We're beginning to see the emergence and development of a number of storylines, most intriguingly what's happening in Winterfell, but obviously Arya is beginning her journey. We thought at first, superficially, is to do with the faceless man, but is that really where it's going to lead? Um, we've also seen Stannis and Jon, and they're a poor building... Uh, well, you know, at least seemingly, recognition from Stannis that John is an honourable man, and and John has really shown that he is now emerging into a proper leader. He's no longer just a follower, and I'm, I'm interested to see what's going to happen next episode with regards to the High Sparrow in particular. I think there's going to be a lot of conflict residing within King's Landing between the faith of the High Septon and the faith of the High Sparrow. But briefly, I will say. What a good episode? Nine out of ten, and I'll throw it over to you now, Dominic.
0: All and
1: right. I will have to go now, so right. you have to cut that little bit out. But I'm sure you can finish up without me. Can you?
0: Oh yeah, well, yeah. Uh, this is staying in, just so you know. <laughs> the music is playing; it has to stay. So, oh, yeah, that's fine. Okay. It's fine. Have a good, have a good one, Kieran. And and you can hear more of Kieran on Expression FM. So just uh, just search for Expression FM on Facebook or hit up Expression FM. Well, apologies, I just haven't
1: to hear that live, but uh, oh, that's it's fine. Very, very, it's, it's very, very. Uh, uh, swift depart- departure from me, sadly. A bit...
0: Yeah. Well, thank you. You're-, I- you're-, you're breaking up again, conflict. so... You're break-
1: <laughs> thank you very much. Anyway, Dominic, I'm breaking up again. But I was...
0: And he's gone. <laughs> the episode was going so well. It was going so well. And the end... Uh, this is the problem with doing the show as if it were live. But... Hopefully, hopefully you found that entertaining. As I was saying, you can, you can find more from Kieran over at Expression FM. So just hit up ExpressionFM.com and you can find all the details about everything he does over there. He does a great job with all of that. So that will wrap things up for us. Well, I guess I should give my final thoughts and score out of 10. Uh, I thought this episode was, would definitely agree with Kieran that it is one of the top episodes for this season so far. Definitely a 9 out of 10. Uh, everything that's going on with Sansa is, is so interesting and I'm so happy that that, that character has gotten... Uh, is getting the screen time and the uh, and the interesting story that that we ne- haven't necessarily seen in the last little while, where she was just stuck as being uh, Joffrey's plaything, and now she's becoming a real power in Westeros, and I think that's great. Also, of course, the, what's going on with Arya is, oh, is is very interesting. We'll see how her character uh, advances as the stories go on. Jon Snow, uh, continuing to impress up at the Wall, we'll see how he moves forward uh, again. This is the great thing about the beginning of the season is that there's so, still so many episodes left. There's still seven episodes left, and there's so much potential for so many things to happen. And, and I, I think it's just great. And I, I cannot wait to see what happens next week. So that will wrap things up for us here. So, uh, if you want to keep up with us, keep up with us between shows, best place to do that is Facebook and Twitter. So you can just search for the Watchers of Westeros on Facebook, or just go to Facebook.com/slash Watchers of Westeros uh, and click like there. We're always trying to post cool stuff in between shows. You can follow us on Twitter at Watcher Westeros is the show, of course, Twitter didn't give us long enough uh in the if, to put our full name in the handle so it's just watcher westeros at of course at watcher westeros you can follow me personally at dominic j25 you can follow kieran at c Duggan six uh you can also hit us up between shows on e- uh, with email you can send us your thoughts on this episode and previous episodes just just email watchers of westeros at gmail.com uh Also, I want to always want to remind you about my other podcast, the Star Wars Underworld podcast. That's where you will find all the all the latest and greatest Star Wars talk. We're continuing to recap our trip to Star Wars Celebration Anaheim on the next couple of weeks. Uh, The first first episode of that is out now where we talked about, uh, well, day one. So the big trailer the new trailer for episode seven as well as some stuff about the untold clone wars panel and all kinds of other fun stuff that went on the on that day uh we've also got our show that we recorded live at celebration anaheim is also available for you to download now with special guest john morton who played dak In Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back so you definitely don't want to miss that and over the next couple of weeks we'll be continuing like I said we'll be continuing to break down our trip to Celebration Anaheim and all the trailers that will be that were released or shown I should say during that convention so that includes Star Wars Battlefront, Star Wars Rebels Season 2 and of course Star Wars Rogue One that elusive trailer that you had to be there to see or at least to see it in good quality so uh, if you want to see that, just uh, hit up StarWarsUnderworld.com or just search for it in iTunes. Just search for Star Wars Underworld Podcast. And that's where you'll also find Kieran and Mai's other show, The Clone Wars Strikes Back. Uh, we haven't done an episode since we've been back from Celebration. We've been Well, we've been doing Game of Thrones stuff since we got back from Celebration. But we'll be getting a new episode out there very soon. It's where we go back and look at... The, the Emmy award-winning animated series Star Wars The Clone Wars and discuss each and every episode and episode arc. So definitely want to check that out. And you can subscribe to this show on iTunes. Just search for Watchers of Westeros. And, hey, if you have time, if you like the show, leave us a review. Five stars are always uh, most appreciated, uh, but we'll take any reviews, good or bad, but we prefer good. So leave a good one. So, again, thank you, everybody, for listening. And until next time, remember, well, until next time, the North remembers.